Second Kings chapter number five. We'll be reading a couple of verses here in this passage. Praying the Lord's blessings on this particular service. Second Kings chapter number five. We'll begin our reading in verse number one. The Bible here is speaking of Naaman the Syrian. This is during a time of Elisha the prophet. Elijah's gone on uh, with a chariot of fire to be with the Lord. And now Elisha is the chief prophet in Israel. And at, during this time, the Bible speaks of this Syrian. He's not an Israelite. He's, a, he's, he's someone who is a military man in Syria. His name is Naaman. The Bible says in verse 1, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And we read in the next few verses the response that took place when Naaman had leprosy and the events that drew him to going into Israel and meeting with the prophet Elisha. Uh, We're not going to take time to talk about the king of Israel and what he did. What we do know is that the king of Israel rent his clothes and thought the king of Syria was picking a fight with him when a, a sum of money was sent into Israel and said, hey, I need to send this man to be healed. And the king of Israel knew that leprosy was an incurable disease in Bible times. And uh, the, the Bible talks about Elisha hearing about it and saying to the king of Israel, send this man to me, that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. And if you skip down in verse number 9, the scripture says in Second Kings 5 and 9, so Naaman came in with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come to thee again, and thou shalt be clean. Skip down to verse 14. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. The scripture says what took place after this was quite miraculous. Naaman comes back. The Bible says in verse 15 that one of the statements he made was, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And he asks the man of God to take a blessing of him. He wanted to give him a sum sum of money, but Elisha refused it. And then in verse number 17, Naaman says... Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. He goes on to say in verse 18, In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and leaneth upon my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardoned thy servant in this thing. And Elisha said in verse 19, go in peace. We're going to be considering the events that led to this great miracle for this Syrian military man. Basically, the scripture describes as getting saved this morning. 
Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come into your presence this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing in this church service. And I thank you for the songs that have been sung, how they've blessed our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that there's a Savior who lights our way. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bless the service now. Speak through the Bible, Lord. Speak through me as a mouthpiece. And I pray, Lord, that we gather an understanding of this passage today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're introduced to this man in verse number one named Naaman the Syrian. And truly, he had a lot of things going for him. The Bible said that he was a great man with his master. The Bible says that he was an honorable man in verse number one. And that the Lord had given deliverance to Syria through this man. And he was a mighty man of valor. There was a lot of things that were going for this man. I would say, based on the writing of Scripture, that Naaman was an exceptional man. He was a successful man. You know, any, any father would have been proud to have a man like Naaman to be his son. Naaman was an upright man. We want our young men to be mighty men. We want our young men to be men of valor. We want our young men to be exceptional men, men that might be able to stand in front of a king, men that might be able to stand in front of others in leadership. Years ago when I was in the military, we had a drill sergeant, and and, uh, one of the things that they enjoyed making us do was holding our arms out to the side. It might seem like it's a pretty simple exercise, but after a few moments, uh, it's not so simple. Uh, they'd make us do what they call the cherry pickers, and they, they'd make you basically like you were picking cherries off a tree. And if you do that for a good five minutes, your arms get very, very heavy. And what they were doing was trying to cause our arms to become very strong. You get to a place where your arm begins to burn, you know, fat and other things when you get so heavy. And I remember one time uh, they were doing something to somebody in the back who fell asleep during, uh, during one of the morning classes. And uh, they were hooting and hollering behind me, get up, get out, get up, get out. And there, there started to be some moans coming from behind me. And I wanted to get a gander at what was going on back there. And, and they said, oh, boot rack, you want to get a piece of this? <laughs> and so they called me to the back. And he started to make me push out push-ups. And I pushed out so many push-ups, I couldn't push them anymore. And he said, now hold out your arms to the side. And then and he grabbed something like, a, it wasn't like a CD, but it was like a little flashlight. And he made me hold this flashlight with, uh, with just my index finger and my thumb. And by the time I'd pushed out all those push-ups, my arm was so heavy, I, would, I was struggling to hold it up. And he gets right in my face. He's like, look at you, even a little baby can hold that. And uh, one of these drill sergeants, uh, we'd be outside and we'd be doing stuff with our M16. And I remember this one drill sergeant in particular, he'd grab that gun right from where you'd fire that weapon from that, the top end of it. And he would lift that thing, that gun, all the way up without stopping. And I tried to do that all the way throughout my basic training. And never did I have enough strength and stability in my arm as strong as I was then in order to do exactly what he did. You know, he, he had developed a certain strength over a period of time where men kind of admired him for his strength. When I was down in San Antonio, I thought I was getting away from all the running that I did in the military. Little did I know that all the drill sergeants in San Antonio were stinking marathon runners. And they made me run more in, in, in AIT than they did in basic training. And I was not thankful for that. But I remember one drill sergeant in particular. His name was Drill Sergeant Ellen. He was known as the, the toughest drill sergeant that was there. He continually made us do push-ups. 
We were always told to drop and push them out. And, you know, by the time we got out of AIT, we were as strong as we'd ever been. We were doing more push-ups than we'd ever done before. And, you know, one of the things that, that we, we, we uh, developed there was a camaraderie. The, the, the people who were in the rank and file, if you will, they enjoyed Drill Sergeant Ellen because he made us tougher. This is kind of who Naaman was. Naaman was a, a, an accomplished military professional, and you don't get there without having some clout amongst the men that you were with. He was a successful man. He no doubt had a good upbringing. But the man had a problem, and the, in the end of verse number 5, he, he had leprosy. Now, leprosy in the, in the Bible is a type of sin, and we're not going to try to over-typify this, but he had a problem. Often when leprosy would start, it would not start in a visible area. It would be covered by your clothes. Many people might not have understood this, that Naaman had this great problem. You know, in the Bible, when someone had leprosy, if it advanced to a particular place, they would be banished to a leper colony. And when people would come near that leper colony, they were required to cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean, because leprosy was so contagious. It was basically a death sentence when Naaman got this in verse number one. So although that he had many things going for him, he had a problem. And his problem was that he had leprosy. Eventually, he ends up going to Elisha, Elisha the prophet. And we see initially, and we skipped over this in our reading this morning, but when Naaman came to Elisha, he thought that he would get a chance to meet Elisha. He thought Elisha was going to come outside, that he was going to recover him of his leprosy by some great miracle of God. He didn't get what he was looking for. In verse number 9, the Bible says that he came with his horses and his chariot, and he stood at the house, the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, so instead of coming outside like Naaman thought was going to take place, Elisha sent a messenger to him and said, what you need to do is go down to the Jordan River and you need to dip yourself seven times. The Bible says in verse number 10, go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. Naaman's initial response was he was upset. He was wroth. The Bible says he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out unto me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. And then you get a little piece of the way he thought, the way Naaman thought. In verse number 12, he says, Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he so he turned and went away in a rage. What are we introduced to? In spite of the fact that Naaman was an honorable man, a great man, a well-educated man, a military professional, and an advanced man, Naaman had a problem, and his problem could be deduced to one word. His problem was pride. If you've ever been to Israel and seen the Jordan River, it's a dirty river. It's not a clean river. Um, I, I, I came from Indiana, and I don't know exactly what's taking place with the Ohio River, but I can tell you right now it's getting worse and worse as the years go on. When a river goes from clear to brown, that's not a good sign. Now, I don't know exactly what's flowing in the river, but it doesn't make me want to drink of the river, and it certainly doesn't want me to make it to want to swim in the river. I've seen dirty rivers before. 
I grew up in Detroit. The Detroit River was filled uh, with a, a lot of things other than, other than cleanliness um, or fish. Uh, what I could tell you is, is that when he saw this dirty river, he said, I, I could have washed in the water back home rather than go down to that river and wash. Now, I might remind you that it was that very river that Jesus went down to and was baptized by John the Baptist. Now, the secret isn't getting baptized in Jordan. If you traveled to Israel and got baptized, that's not going to save you any more than getting into the waters of this baptistry to save you. Baptism does not save you, but baptism pictures salvation. It is a picture of what takes place on the inside of your heart. So his pride. You know what the Bible says about pride? It says God resists the proud. This goes for preachers. It goes for the pew. It goes for the lost, and it goes for the saved. Pride stinks. And pride makes you to stink. And God resists the proud. And that includes us in the church house. We oughtn't to be proud. We ought to be a people that is known by our humility. This man, Naaman, had zero humility. He had no intention of going down there to the Jordan and washing, even though this is how the prophet said, this is how you get, this is how you're going to be recovered of your leprosy. I want to say this. Some men would do well to bow the knee at an old-fashioned altar and call out to God for the issues of their family. You know, it's a good thing for you to bow before the Lord and pray. Now, some people who are up in years and aged, they, they, they have a problem if they get down on their knees, and that problem is they can't get back up again. You ever met somebody that was like that? They carried something around them. They had, they had the, old, the old button to press. Because they saw the commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. I remember seeing a man in the last year of his life. He was struggling with a problem with his pancreas and several other just various diseases. But I'll never forget on a Sunday how he meandered out of that pew. He came on down to an old-fashioned Baptist altar and bowed the knee before the Lord. And I saw him struggle to get up. The year of his death, he bowed before the Lord. He was giving God thanks down there at the altar for the life that he had been able to live. I'll see my friend again. It was a scene that stuck in my mind. Some people don't have the ability to get down to their knees and pray. But those of us who do, sometimes it's good for us to bow our knee to the Lord. Why? Because it's a humbling thing. It is, he is our God. God is above us. It puts us in, a, in an appropriate position. Some men would do well when they're having problems in their family. It actually would be a good thing for the family to see, look, dad's a praying. Dad's going to the Lord. Dad's setting an example for this family. I pray that there are times in my life when my children, if they were to inspect my life, could find me on my knees. If you go back to Daniel in the Old Testament... You remember how that they promoted Daniel and people were, they were after him. They were, they were jealous of his position and they tried to inspect his life. What can we find that's wrong with this man? The Bible said three times a day in his house, he would get on his knees and he would face Jerusalem and pray to his God. And that's the only thing they could find in his life. 
I fear that if someone were to try to inspect our lives, they'd find us on our knees far fewer times than what that Daniel was found. May God help us to have a spirit of humility about us, God's people. It speaks very poorly of our Christian character when people don't know us as people of humility. In the matter of salvation, humility is absolutely required. It takes humility to admit that you're lost. It takes humility to admit, I'm not saved. You say, well, what would other people think of me? Do you realize that that's a portion of our pride that gets other people to think, what, what gets us to think, what would other people think of me? Do you think more of what people think of you than you think of what God thinks of you? One day we'll stand before God. We need to be more concerned with what God thinks of us then we need to be concerned with what man thinks of us. And it certainly takes humility to admit that, our, that we're lost. If you've never acknowledged to God that you were lost, you are not saved. Leprosy wasn't always seen, as we said before. Many times it was hidden beneath the clothing, but it would always come out. Humility is also an area of salvation that requires spiritual honesty. In Psalm 51, David's penitent psalm, after he'd committed great sins with Bathsheba and killed her husband to try to cover up the fact that they were going to have a baby together, he made sure that he tried to cover his sins. One of the things David said in Psalm 51 is this, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. If you're ever going to get saved, it's going to be because there is spiritual honesty running through your heart that there is something wrong with me. I've never been born again. I've never been saved. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must come this way. You must come through humbling yourself and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we get on this particular subject, we know that Christ hadn't come to the earth in second Kings chapter number 5. He'd not been revealed to people, but God, the God of Israel, was revealing himself to people in the Old Testament. Now we know that the, the people who were encouraging Naaman, they, they tried to uh, reason with him. They tried to say, Naaman, you know, if you'd have been asked to do some great thing, you would have done it. And they reasoned with him to go down and humble himself and go into the Jordan River. And we read that this morning, how in verse number 14, he went down and he dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And praise God, his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Anybody who's had a newborn baby, after they wash that baby up, and you get to hold that baby, that's saying something, that a, a man who's grown, his flesh came back to him again, and it was like the flesh of a little child. You know, a little baby's flesh has a, a particular smell to it. There's a smell that's not like to many things in this life. It's, it's tender. It's, it's a precious thing. You ever hold a new, held a newborn baby? I remember holding my, my Rebecca the first time at the hospital. and We had a, a son first, and we were thankful for that. We, we got a boy first. I won't get into why I wanted a boy first, but I wanted a girl next. I wanted the, the Lord to bless us with a girl. And oh, my soul was so filled with thankfulness when I got to hold my daughter. I wept. You know, I, was, I was in the hospital crying, and the doctor was like, whoa, are you okay? 
I'm like, yeah, man, I'm fine. You know, God answered my prayer. What's wrong with you? He's thinking because I'm crying, I'm about to pass out or something. You know, strong men can cry sometimes. God answered my prayer. I asked God to give me a girl, and he gave me a daughter. I'll never forget that little, the smell, the, the tenderness of her, of her skin. And to put my hands on my, my daughter and praying over her. That God would protect her, that God would save her at a young age, that God would do great things with her as my daughter. You know, this whole thing about his skin coming back to him again, and he was recovered of his leprosy, is a great miracle that took place here. But no less miraculous are the statements that were made by Naaman after he was saved. Now we're coming to a point here, so please try to hang with me today as we try to wrap the message up and bring it on home to a point. There were three statements that he made. In verse number 15, he said, Now I know that there is no God but the God in Israel. When God does something so special for you, and you know that he's the real God, you will throw all those other little gods away that you've been praying to for many years. This man repented. He repented from his false religion. He's no longer going to go into Rimmon's house and pray to Rimmon. He's no longer going to pray to any false gods. He's only going to pray to the God of Israel. Verse number 15 he said, he said, I know that there is no God in all the earth. He asks for a blessing to be taken, so all of a sudden he becomes very generous, and he's wanting to, to give a gift to Elisha, and Elisha did not want this man thinking that he had purchased the gift of God, that God did this for any kind of exchange of money. That was one of the problems he had in the first place. He thought money could solve this problem, but money can't solve certain problems. Only God can. God can solve the issue of leprosy in your heart, if you will. God can solve the sin problem, but money doesn't solve that problem. Matter of fact, money creates a lot of problems in people's lives. That's why you should be obedient to the Lord with your money, but that's a message for another day. The Bible says in verse number 16 that they would not take this blessing of him. They wouldn't take a financial benefit. And in verse number 17, you know, it's, it's, it's written in old English terminology, if you will, but basically in modern day vernacular, he says, I want, I want to take the amount of burden of earth. I want to take this Israeli dirt enough dirt that two mules can take it back to my town with so that I can build an altar with this dirt because I'm no longer going to sacrifice to any God but to the God of Israel. He basically said, God changed who I worship. He changed how I worship. I'm worshiping the God of Israel. He said, let me take some of this dirt back home because I'm not worshiping my gods anymore. I'm worshiping the God of heaven. What a blessing that is. Another thing that he, he was concerned about after he had had this, this revelation that the only God was the God of heaven, he said, I'm going to worship, I'm going to offer sacrifices to this God. But he said, you know, as a part of my job in verse number 18, there's times when I have to, as the captain of the host of Syria, I've got to go into the house of Rimmon, a false god. And I've got to lend a hand to his master, to his boss, if you will. I serve as a part of the Syrian army. Sometimes I've got to get down on my knee. I've got to get down on my knee in the house of a false god and help up my master. You know what he's thinking? He's, saying, he's basically saying, I'm not sure if the Lord will allow me to do this, but I'm saying as a part of my job, I have to go into this place, but I want you to know I'm not bowing to him no more. I'm only bowing to help up my master. He said, the Lord pardon thy servant. Well, Elisha said, you're fine. 
You know, some preachers would say, no, not fine. But Elisha said, you're fine. It'll be okay. You know, sometimes God's grace can cover areas where you don't think it'll be covered. And if Elisha said it was okay, I'm going to go ahead and trust what Elisha had to say. Elisha had a double portion of Elijah's spirit, and if he didn't have a problem with it, I'm sure I'm not going to have a problem with it. Now, as we get into this, this is a wonderful story about this leper being cleansed. Isn't it great how somebody was able to come to Israel and get help? I mean, if I ever got sick and somebody knew that I could go to a particular place in the world and get healed from this, I would sure like that kind of information. But if you go back earlier on in the story, we find how that this situation took place. And it only took place for one reason. It took place because a little girl who had been taken captive from Israel was taken to Syria and was living in Naaman's house as a servant. A little Israeli girl, their house had no doubt been destroyed. She'd been separated from her parents. She wasn't living the life of her dreams. She was now living as a slave in another country. And she found herself in Naaman's house. Now this little girl could have held this information. She could have said, I hate these Syrians. And even though I know that there's a cure and that he's got a hope to get cured, I'm going to hold this information inside. Because maybe their skin color's a little different. Or maybe their gods are a little different. You know, there's a lot of people who they withhold information from people who they're a little bit prejudiced against. And if there was any reason that for anybody to have, have hard feelings against another country, it's the Israelis against the Syrians. The Syrians had come in and they had stolen these people away. You might remember in the Old Testament, prejudice was a big problem. Prejudice was also a problem in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you remember how that Jonah was told to go over to those Ninevites and preach. And he said, I'm not going to Nineveh. He got on a ship and he started heading over to Tarshish. You know why? Because he said it later after he went to Nineveh and preached to him. He's like, I knew that you were a God that would show mercy to him. I knew that you would save him. That's why I didn't want to come here in the first place. Stinking Ninevites. He had a problem. He had a problem with prejudice. In the New Testament, you know what they called Samaritans, don't you? They called them half-breeds. They had a a Jewish parent and a non-Jewish parent. And the Israelites didn't even want to go through Samaria. That's why those those disciples like Peter and James and John come back into town saying, Did somebody give them something to eat? What's he doing talking to her? You know, he was talking to her because Jesus loves sinners. That's why Jesus was talking to her. Now this is missions month around, uh, around here at uh, Metropolitan Baptist Church. And the Bible says what took place here, how that, how that this little girl allowed her voice to be, it's, she, she, you don't know her name. In verse number 2 it says the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away a captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that's in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. You know what wouldn't have happened if she didn't lift up her voice in this passage? Nothing. Naaman would have never been healed of his leprosy. He would have died a leper. Nobody would have reached him with the truth. He never would have understood that there was only a God in Israel. You say, what does this have to do with missions month? God can use people like the little maid to be a little missionary and he could use you to be a missionary too we live in a mission field 
This world is a mission field. This, this area of Fort Worth has a lot of people who have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and they need to hear the preaching of God's word. May God use us like God used this little maid. May God use us to lift up our voice and say, hey, there's an answer. There is a Savior who lights our way. We serve a true and a living God who seeks to save sinners. The Bible says this in Luke 19.10, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. All these beautiful things that took place in verse number 15. Now I know that there's only a God in heaven. Wouldn't have happened if, it, if the little maid didn't lift up her voice. In verse 17, where he said, I only want to worship with dirt from Israel. I'll only offer an offering. What a beautiful picture of my life has changed. My life is different now. It wouldn't have taken place if the little maid didn't say, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. She didn't hide the truth. We used to sing that song in, in church called, This Little Light of Mine. I'm going to let it shine. I grew up in Warren at a church in Warren, Michigan, and I remember singing that in Sunday school when I was a little boy. Shine it all over Warren. I'm going to let it shine. I used to knock on doors in that town. We used to try to see people come to church from that town. We ran bus routes in that town trying to get little children to come to, come to church from Warren and Detroit, Michigan and bringing people into church. And then we'd do things with the little bus kids and we'd reward them for things and try to get their parents to come to church so that somebody could hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what was taking place? That light was shining wherever we went. Did the little maid's light go out when she was in Samaria or when she was in Syria? No. Her light was still shining. She said, there's a prophet over there that can help. You know, Jesus can answer, Jesus is the answer for the problems of mankind. I just look at all the wonderful things that took place here in 2 Kings chapter number 5. And it started with a little maid. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter number 4. Luke chapter number 4. There was a time in Jesus' life when he'd gone back to his hometown. You know, they, after Jesus had been in Egypt for some years as a, as a toddler, if you will, you remember what happened when Jesus was born? You know, they were seeking for him. They were killing all the babies because uh, Herod didn't want any kind of, uh, he didn't want any competition. There was a king in Israel, so they were slaying. They were killing all the kids. And God told Joseph, you get Jesus out of there. You go on over into Egypt that it might be fulfilled that was written in the prophecy, out of Egypt have I called my son. And after Herod was dead, God told Joseph to go back to Israel. And he happened upon this place called Nazareth, and this is where Jesus had been brought up. So Jesus was very familiar with everything going on at the synagogue in Nazareth. And one of the things that Jesus said in Luke chapter number 4 and verse number 26. It says, well, in verse number 27. Jesus put his stamp of approval on this story in 2 Kings chapter number 5. It says, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elysius the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. This was basically a slap in the face to the Jews. Again, Jesus showed the prejudice that was in the hearts of the people that were there in his hometown. He said, Why didn't the Lord heal any Jewish lepers during the time of Elisha? He healed a Syrian leper. And they got so mad at him that in verse number 29, well, verse 28 says they were filled with wrath. They rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. 
These were the religious people from Nazareth. They wanted to throw the Son of God off the top of a hill. And if that describes your religion, and if that's the kind of prejudice you carry in your heart, let me tell you how valuable your religion is. It ain't good for nothing. And you're not on the way to the good place neither. I want to say this today. The Lord can change people's lives. And it's up to us to be like the little maid so that miracles like this continue to take place. Why don't you let God let you let let God use you as a little missionary? Tell people about the gospel. Bring people to the preaching of the word of God. Do everything that you can to allow this to be one of the grandest purposes in your life to see that other people hear the truth. That there's a God in Israel and his son's name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus loves you. You know, that's a great purpose for which we live. Probably there is no grander purpose. You have a better purpose in life than to bring other people to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? I know I don't. You know, you could be a good man, just like Naaman, but you could be lost. I wrote down these things as we close today. Great men need to be saved. Honorable men need to be saved. And mighty men need to be saved. And without the message of the little maid, he never would have been saved. Let's let God use us just like he used this little girl. Let's stand together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we'll prepare to have this verse of invitation. could be today if there's somebody in the church house who's been weighing the issues of salvation I want to say this there's people who believe they're saved by being good I'm a good person that's what they say to themselves but I just remind you the words of scripture where it says there's none that doeth good no not one that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God If you find yourself in that company where you say, I am a sinner, you have joined the company of every other human being that's ever been born. And here's the good news. Jesus came to save sinners. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation. Christ died to save sinners. Christ came here to save you. He came to seek you out, to save that which is lost. Could be somebody here today and you know you're lost. Are you tired of being lost? If you are, Jesus will receive you if you come to him in faith. That's when salvation takes place. When you're good and tired of being lost, I don't want to be lost another day in my life. I want Christ. There could be somebody here today and you've neglected your responsibility to be like that little maid. To give your light so that others might be saved. Brother John's going to sing the first verse as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If God's spoken to your hearts, you come. You have If you need to get saved, won't you come? You need to bow the knee before the Lord, won't you come?
You might have a great burden of heart. Burden from my family, Pastor. The altar is open. Won't you come? Won't you come today? Got a wayward child. Bring him to the altar. Let God hear your voice. Let's all sing in verse 2. Would you walk with the Lord in the light of his word and have peace and contentment always? You must do people said amen Amen. good to see you in the house of God today we pray that you've been blessed on this first Sunday of October 2023 my has this year gone by fast as I get older almost every year goes by pretty fast Uh, but uh, we're very thankful uh, to see you here today don't forget we have Sunday evening services tonight at 6 p.m. if you can be back for the evening service we want to encourage you to do that Uh, We have a service much like this, and uh, we sing a few songs and have some preaching, and um, we pray that God will use these services to be a blessing to our church congregation. They always are. Uh, Don't forget this week we have several activities that are planned. Thursday night visitation uh, is planned, and then next week I know that there's going to be a lot of hustle and bustle toward the end of the week getting prepared for Fall Fun Day uh, next week. Now, One of the reasons that we do Fall Fun Day is not so that we can just take Sunday night off. It's so that we can get together as a church and fellowship together. You know, one of the things the Bible says that is an evidence of salvation 
We know that we've passed from death to life because we have a love for the brethren. And if you love somebody, you want to spend time with them. And uh, sometimes laughter, it's important for us to do that. And I want to say another thing about a growing and a thriving church. A growing and a thriving church will make the church a place where children have fond memories of people who laughed and played with them and had a good time with them. If children come into a church and see that everybody's doom and gloom and their chins drag in the ground and nobody ever laughs, why would they ever want to live their life here? You know, we ought to have fun at church and laugh at church and have fun with each other at church and eat together. You know, they say families that pray together, stay together. I also think families ought to laugh together and play together and have great memories one with another. And I, I just, you know, I give thanks to God for I went to church at a time when people really made our our lives fun. You know, you know, um, I used we used to do things like a candy toss at church where you see all the children just being as selfish as possible, stealing candy from each other. And then we got to see an egg toss where a bunch of husbands and wives got to, you know, basically have some marital trouble because it was often uh, it was often the egg, you know, uh, getting breaking on the woman's hand because she doesn't have as soft a hands as the guys do. I mean, I hope we can do an egg toss next week. And, uh, you know, we, we, you know, I don't mind marital counseling at all. And uh, anyhow, I, I hope and pray that we can have a good time together next week and uh, really just celebrate what God's doing in our church. And uh, also watch our little, our little ones uh, get a chance to enjoy uh, being around here, being around the house of God. And uh, I, I thank the Lord for that. Tyvon Rice, why don't you come on up here? Tyvon, come on all the way up here to this pulpit. I want to recognize this young man. Uh, Tyvon uh, is uh, going to be graduating today as a new sheepdog. Now, I'm going to give you one more chance to actually clap like you love the kid. You know, just go ahead. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. Tyvon, you're 36 years old now, aren't you? Yes, sir. I met this young man when I was, when he was 14 years old. Just as tall as he was now. <laughs> Lumbering down an aisle. In Northwest Chicago, under conviction, got saved by the grace of God at an altar. My second week, pastor in my first church. And Tyvon basically became a part of my family. And he doesn't bear my last name. Sometimes he calls me dad. But uh, Tyvon is, we've taken family pictures together. I always tease people and say he was a child from a previous relationship. <laughs> which is not true. But it is funny to say that to a waitress. I say, can't you see it in the profile? <laughs> Which the answer is absolutely not. But I was in prayer meeting last week, uh, 9 o'clock prayer meeting, and I heard Tyvon singing in the hallways of the church. And God brought me back to that day when he lumbered down that aisle and got saved. And Tyvon, I'm proud of you, and uh, this church is proud of you, and I know that they've received you as their own. And uh, now you're going to be one of the people who's charged with protecting the church membership. And we know that you're going to do a good job, that you've got a level head. And may God help you and give you wisdom and prudence as you do that. And uh, you pray for Tyvon. Today he's having his graduation at 2 o'clock. 
this afternoon. And I'm very thankful that he spent, he's been able to sacrifice his time in order to do a good job protecting our church. Amen. Brother Tyvon, you, you dismiss the service in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today, Lord, thanking you for the opportunity to be in your house, Father. We thank you for the message that we heard, Lord, and we pray that uh, that the message that we heard, that we take it to our hearts, Lord, and that we would use it. Help us to go out of this place, Lord, and with the mission to win souls and bring them unto you, Father. I ask that you be with all of us as we go our separate ways, Lord, and I thank you especially for this church and the love that they've shown me since I've come here. I thank you for my pastor and all the church members here, Lord. Bless them and give us a good day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.